Welcome to the Last Ones In podcast, where being late to the party isn't a bad thing. I am your host, Jariah Archuleta, and with me today is E. Hello. And then coming in from the internets, we have Robbie. Hello. And then all the way from across the country, we have Rocky. Hi. (laughs) And today, the movie that we'll be taking a look at is Blade Runner. The thing about Blade Runner that some of you may or may not know, a bunch of you listening probably do know, um, the people with me here may not, is that there are a bunch of different versions of Blade Runner. There are a bunch of different cuts of the movie, like different edits and different things that were in it and not in it at certain points. Are we going to watch the Snyder Cut? We're essentially watching the Snyder Cut, yes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the versions that everybody kind of are readily available to watch for the most part, are the the U.S. theatrical cut, the international cut, the director's cut, and then the final cut. So we're watching the final cut today because it's the version that Ridley Scott has decided is the best cut. It's the exact best version of the film from everything that they did, shot, recorded. This is the very closest to his vision that you could possibly get to. This is the only one he approves of, basically. Now I have a question. Is it actually the final cut? Yes. Okay. It actually is. It was cut together in late 2006, 2007, um, put out on Blu-ray, and there was this whole special edition put out for it as well that we'll get more into in the spoilers, because I have a lot. There's a lot to say about that, actually. This movie's gone through quite a bit in its history to only end up where it is now. But before we really start talking about this film, I want to get to know what's been going on in everybody's lives here. E, we're going to start with you, since you're in this room with me. Okay. What's happening? What's going on? I'm very tired. Uh, work is awful. Uh, I am beginning to feel like the human body should not be working 10-hour shifts. Yeah, maybe it wasn't, you know, designed for that. Yeah. Like, I already kind of felt that way about 8-hour shifts, but, like, when you start going <laughs> to 10, I'm already like, wait a second. <laughs> um, I've been I've been drawing quite a bit for Art Fight which for the uninformed is when a bunch of artists decide that we're just going to all draw each other's characters for a month. For really no reason, from what I understand. Yeah, you get arbitrary (laughs) points that you can technically cheat if you want, but no one does because what's the point of cheating at this? (laughs) I've been taking a bit of more looks into the itch bundle that I bought quite a while back, actually, at this point. Um, Yeah, but I'm at a month now. Yeah. I played uh, You Died But a Necromancer Revived You, which is, like, a fun little, like, room. I don't know, like, those, I don't know if there's, like, a name for the genre where, like, you get a room and you have to solve the room to go to the next room. Like a, I think it's basically called, like, a puzzle room game. Maybe. I wouldn't call it puzzles, though. It's Almost more like, like escape room, but digital. Yeah. Like, it's mostly just action, though, oh, okay. which is why I don't know if I'd call it that, but yeah. Uh, Smash TV, like? I haven't played Smash TV. Uh, you fight in a room, and then when you kill everybody, you get to go to the next room. Kind of, but you can't kill anything. Oh. I don't know. You escape, so I guess the escape room <laughs> is probably accurate. <laughs> I played All Cats Are Liquid, which is a puzzle game and also very existential. Are the cats liquid? Basically. You can become, you can hit a button and turn into gas at a point, so I think Ooh. the title's technically lying then. <laughs> um, I think that's mostly been those... I bought a Clubhouse 51, and it's it's a real humbling experience when you get your ass handed to you at checkers by the normal computer. So, (laughs) 
And Clubhouse 51 is like basically like a board game collection for the Switch, right? Yeah, you get a bunch of board games and uh, card games. I, I wish there was a bit more, because there's a lot that are just luck. Oh, right. And, like, War is one of the games in there. War is kind of, War is fairly fun to play in person when you're flipping all the cards. Not so much when you're just on a switch and you just hit a button. A button. All right. A button. All right. A button. I win. Yeah, like, you get, like, it, like, tracks every time you beat games and it says you mastered them. To do that, I literally just, like, start put on a video and just kept tapping A <laughs> and just hoped I won. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe one that doesn't really transfer to digital very well. Yeah, but, like, it's fun, and I could definitely see just bringing that to places. Uh, And then just getting ready to move. Still starting that engine up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like the moving process. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's the life in the days of the E. Something around that. You can rearrange that. Maybe it might make sense. <laughs> <laughs> days and times of E. The time, the wait, what is it? Time. The best of times, it was the worst The life of and times of Ridgemont E, I think. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I don't All right. Well, uh, Robbie, what's going on with you? Well, you could say I've had a weird week. <laughs> um, last week, uh, I spent a lot of time dealing back and forth with uh, my work, actually, just because uh, I needed a day off because I was going to help Jell move. And after I did that, I... Well, yeah, I had helped her moved. I went back to work one day and like we were there's maybe like half the people there that day. And I didn't understand why until the next day uh, they had called and well, they had called, texted and emailed me telling us not to come to work that day. So I called them up and asked what was going on. And apparently uh, somebody tested positive for covid, which is why I'm actually not here with you guys this week you know, just for general safety reasons. But I feel fine. But it's just a matter of, you know. Kind of that stay alone, stay alive mentality. Exactly. That's our motto. Let's be honest, I have bad luck because this is the second job I've had so far during this pandemic where someone's gotten COVID and I've had to miss work because of it. <laughs> yeah, don't go to a third place. That's that's your strike. <laughs> Robbie, what if you're a carrier? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> just constantly, though. Yeah, I, like I showed no symptoms. I'm just constantly a carrier. Robbie, I hate to say it, but if you were the carrier in a horror movie, that movie would be a comedy. Just because <laughs> of the way you describe yourself, you'd be like, oh, everyone's getting sick. I have the worst luck. I want to say, Robbie, like how you were describing, like, I showed up and there were only half the people. I thought you were going to go and be like, and then the next day, only half the people again. Of the half, and like it just kept cutting down until it was just me. Everybody just died. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Like there was. That would be Robbie's zombie apocalypse movie. He just keeps going to work. <laughs> that would be Probably. the worst. If there's a zombie apocalypse, and you still have to work. He's on the podcast by himself, bitching because he hasn't gotten his check yet, and he's like, "They just never send me my check. I don't know." I just... <laughs> I'm the only one who shows up to work and they still don't pay me. <laughs> I haven't seen my boss in months. But yeah, uh, I was going to say that the thing about that, though, is like even though it's uh, they say it's mandatory, but they don't really do anything about it at work. That, but it's mandatory for us to wear a mask. Like the only time that most of the guys actually wear a mask is whenever first shift comes in. So that way they don't get uh, hit by HR for not wearing their masks. So like I'm one of the only people who actually wears their mask the entire shift whenever I'm there. And so that's probably, well, that and the reason I don't, 
that and the fact that I don't really talk to a whole lot of people is probably the reason why I haven't gotten sick. So I'm not super social, but some of those other people are social butterflies in a very non-social place trying to get their social life out while they're at work. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around, I would say. But because of things like that, they had to do a deep clean where I work. And so I don't get to come to work until Tuesday. Seems pretty all right. I don't know. They're probably not paying you, though, I would assume. This one actually is. It's one oh. of the reasons why this job is better than my last job. They they're like, me yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, so we know that it's not your fault that you can't come to work. So we're just going to pay you anyways, is what they basically told us. So like, I'm going to get paid my 40 hours still. Just I don't be but there for safety reasons. Did they say that they're doing a deep clean or that you needed to show up for the deep clean? Email. <laughs> 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 Rocky, you can't you can't do typing things when one of the keys you're hitting is your mute button. <laughs> That's what happens when you slam your palm on a keyboard. <laughs> Robbie, we need you to come in for a deep clean. We think you've been getting everybody sick. Don't come in till Tuesday. Got it. <laughs> and also who authorized this deep clean was it like a boss or was it like the creepy janitor that nobody talks to <laughs> besides that like i said i helped gel move uh i think it was tuesday yeah tuesday i helped her move so there was that i had a short trip down to the valley and then went back up or came back up here and helped her get everything into her new apartment our condo since she lives in the nicer part of town but yeah that's what i've been up to Nice. But, uh, Rocky, how have you been, man? Um, no complaints, just, you know, living day by day through the whatever. The days? Whatever year this is, quality of year. <laughs> Going through yeah, 2020. Just... It's a spectacular time for everybody. What a time to be alive, man. I don't, I would be shocked to find anybody who's like, you know what, 2020 is really coming up my way. It's <laughs> <laughs> just that one person. Just, this is like the best year. <laughs> I don't, I've, I'm probably the people who have stocks now. Yeah, maybe you're right, actually. Maybe. People who have stock investment in Walmart, Charmin, and Amazon are yeah, probably, probably all like, fun. since all my employees died, I don't even have to pay anyone with this money. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I feel like what there's a certain level of like when you get enough money every year is your year it doesn't really matter like every year is coming out you you know <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, just nothing's new with me I have uh, I guess one weird thing is today I had a friend shoot me a list of ways to spruce up my resume <laughs> he's, like, he's like here you need this I'm like, oh. You need this. I haven't talked to you so, in three uh, months, but thanks, bud. So uh, that wasn't helpful to you then? Not <laughs> bud? Actually, I was very appreciative. I, I got it, but at the same time, I was like, first off, yeah, my resume doesn't look good, but B, how dare you? And so, you know, it was, I mean, but just nothing, nothing that's, nothing of actual, like, interest. Just silly shit. Just... I attract a lot of silly shit. Anyone can testify to this. But. That's, that's a fact. But yeah. Just slamming a table. Oh yeah. Damn it. I forget <laughs> that you guys can do But uh, how is our esteemed host today? Um, good. Mostly. Uh, I don't know. That's great. All right. <laughs> 
I don't know if I've <laughs> talked about it on the podcast at all. I think I might have just done it on post credits our live show every Saturday night. Um, quick you plug. can tune into that at 10 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Saturday nights if we do them. <laughs> yeah, most of the time we do them. But I ordered 4K Wizard of Oz. I think I talked about it on the live shows, not on the main podcast, but I ordered that. Though it's been like three and a half weeks now. It ships, right? I, I track it every single day because I'm fucking paranoid and I just need to know when it's coming in. So I keep tracking, I keep looking. And then this last Friday now shows that it's gotten to the store. It's like, awesome. At the store. Processing. It's Friday morning, it gets in. He's waiting there first in line, everyone. <laughs> 7 a.m. Saturday hits. Still processing in the store. I'm like, well, that seems like it's taking a long time. I should call and see what's going on. And so I call them. They're like, um, yeah, let me just check on that. And like the girl goes, puts me on hold, goes and checks. She comes back. She's like, uh, I looked in all the usual places and it's just not there. Uh, so maybe it's like still on the truck. That happens sometimes. Like we check it in, but we don't actually grab it. So it could just be on the truck. So maybe when the truck comes in again, you'll get it. It's like my sister orders something from Amazon. That happens all the time. It's just always just on the truck or she like orders it from a weird place. Like, so I don't know. Just like don't order weird stuff from online, I guess. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Wizard okay. of Oz. Super <laughs> weird thing to order online. Yes, actually, I would argue. <laughs> I just imagine she's just like looking at it, just like fucking weirdo. <laughs> <He's looking for that. laughs> it's like this dude calls us every day about the fucking Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Who needs a ninety-year-old movie that bad? <laughs> Yeah, I just want to make sure my uh, Wizard of Oz is. I know I called like four days already about Wizard of Oz. It's Wizard of Oz the movie. I don't know if you heard about it, but it's uh, Wizard of Oz the movie in 4K. So if you would want to, you know, get that for me. That'd be nice. Like, hey, uh, it's been one hour and you guys haven't updated me. I just wanted to check in again. Uh, that is Wizard of Oz, of course, in 4K, Lady, by the way. it's in 4K, okay? It's not, it's 4K. Put two, put four fours in front of that fucking K and get me a Wizard of Oz. Yeah, so that first call didn't go well. <laughs> first call. Yeah, no, I definitely called again. So I wait a couple days. I wait till Monday. And actually, no, it wasn't even Monday. I think I called them the next day. It was totally the next day. It was, either, it was either the next day or Monday. I don't really remember. Point is, I call, and the guy, like, I'm talking to him. He's like, can I get your order number? I'm like, yeah, I give him an order number. He's like, okay. uh, Dry Archuleta? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, Wizard of Oz 4K. Like, <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, Wizard of Oz. He's like, okay, uh, give me a minute. Let me see if I can go sort this out. He leaves. Fucking weirdo. <laughs> that girl goes that you call Oh my god, yeah, he totally did. He's some weird guy who I told him it was on a truck. I didn't know where Dryo, when you pick this up, did you at least wear the duster? It's, I I have to continue with the story. Okay, sorry. There's a a disappointing ending for me. So the guy comes back, he's like, Yeah, like we have the load back there. I think I can see it in the middle of the pallet, but I don't really have time to unload it right now. Um, so, like, maybe tonight they'll unload it, and if you call before 2 tomorrow, then, like, if they if they haven't unloaded it, I can just go do it, I guess, because I'll be here. Okay, cool. Like, I get off the phone, I'm like, okay, I appreciate that. At least the guy was honest with me, he just didn't want to fucking do it. At least there's that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I call the next day. I think this time I'm talking to a manager. I call, and she's like, let me check on that. And it's, like, three or four minutes, she comes back, she's like, yeah, so it says that we have it in here, 
but I can't find it. And I was like, yeah, it says it's been processing since like Friday. She's like, um, let me look into that. And I'm on hold for like another 25 minutes. I think she was genuinely hoping I would just hang up. <laughs> um, she gets back on. She's like, yeah, so turns out what happens is they processed it into the store and then somebody bought it. <laughs> so. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> You're the one person in the world who is pre-ordering the Wizard of Oz, and they fucking sold it. Yeah, this guy's called about it for like three days in a row. You know what? I'm going to buy it from him because fuck this guy in general. <laughs> it, was the, it was the guy who told you to call back. <laughs> like they called he called so many or so many times about this already just like fuck it we're gonna give it to someone else like, i don't even care at this point plot twist they look back through the video it was jariah who bought it <laughs> <laughs> you just see him in the video he just has like a duster on he's like putting it into like a fold of the <laughs> so they refund me and then they order a new copy that's supposed to be in tomorrow so we'll see what happens I imagine it's going to be stuck on a truck somewhere again. But, yeah, that's... You might get it as long as they don't put it in the middle of the pallet this time. <laughs> I'm going to go to Walmart tomorrow and just see if I can just pick up one. <laughs> just buy it. And I'm going to save it for Christmas. Oh. <laughs> when Christmas rolls by, I'll be like, Hey, Jerry, remember when you were looking for the Wizard of Oz? And he's Why like, does this have my name and shipping address on it? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's just perfect for you. <laughs> So yeah, that's a uh, that's been my week of sh- this is my punishment for trying to buy every 4K movie. But let's move on to the movie that we're talking about this week. The Wizard Wait. of Oz 2. There is a Wizard of Oz 2. I know, I've read it. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Um but the movie we're talking about this week is Blade Runner: The Final Cut, which like I said before is a specific cut of the film that in the spoilers uh we will get more into because of the descriptions between what the differences are does get uh, maybe a bit spoilery, in my opinion. So we'll talk about that more in spoilers if you're interested in that. We'll do it at the top of it, just so we don't actually spoil the movie for you. Accidentally. Yeah. But uh, who all has seen it? I know that I have seen it uh, twice at this point, actually, only. So that's kind of weird. Um, I'm pretty sure you have seen it, haven't you, Robbie? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, Robbie. Not Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, have you seen it? <laughs> uh, Rocky. Uh, I have not seen this movie. That's awesome. And I don't even ask E. He has not seen this movie. Nope. This movie's too long. <laughs> it's not that long, actually. Um, so let's go ahead and start with Rocky on this one. Uh, what do you think this movie's going to be about? There is a man. He is not entirely human. He is not entirely machine. There is a plan. It is not entirely human. Nor is it entirely machine. <laughs> he sets off this man on a plan. There is a hand. It is not entirely human. It is not entirely machine. This man has a hand with a plan. And he's going to do it. And that is what I think this movie is There is an ant in the hole on a log on a frog, right? Maybe. This is more futuristic. But that same, <laughs> the same context both with cyborgs and spaceships. And swords. He's a fucking blade runner. He's running around with a blade. 
with his hand that he made on a train in the rain. <laughs> okay, I think that's a pretty good description. Um, but let's see what E has to say, just in case. All right. The year is 20XX Neo Tokyo. There's a slightly above average looking man. He is the titular Blade. He finds two probably around teenage children, uh, and with their help, he is going to overthrow the government. But the government puts them into a maze, and they have to get out of the maze. Isn't that Maze Runner? Oh. (laughs) 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 This one doesn't have the maze. Oh, yeah. Is this not a maze? This movie's not a maze. Also, it's probably like vaguely steampunk, not steampunk, but the the robot punk, I guess. I don't know what they call it. So there's probably Yeah, there we go. Cyberpunk. (laughs) So there's probably cyborgs and androids, and I won't know the difference between them. Okay. And uh Robbie has seen this already, so he already knows everything. Um the thing that I do want to do here is I uh don't love the back of the box. The ba- yeah, I don't love the back of the box on this one. So he's just going to read the front. <laughs> Harrison Ford Blade Runner Final Cut. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to read the back of this box and then I'm going to go to IMDb and read somebody else's description of the movie because I feel like it is far more succinct and explains the movie a little better cuz this one uh it maybe up its own ass a little bit. All right. Visually spectacular, intensely action-packed, and powerfully prophetic since its debut, Blade Runner dazzles in Ridley Scott's definitive final cut, including extended scenes and previously unseen special effects. In a signature role as 21st century detective Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford brings his masculine yet vulnerable presence to this stylish noir thriller in a future of high-tech possibility soured by urban and social decay. Deckard hunts for fugitive, murderous replicants, and is drawn to a mystery woman whose secrets may undermine his soul. So that's the back of the box on the final cut Blu-ray edition. Masculine but vulnerable. It, you know what another word for vulnerable is? Fragile? They should use that one. That's put a more interesting Masculine name. but fragile. <laughs> You're right. The, that does sound like it was written by a critic who like absolutely adores this movie. Yeah. Yeah, so now I'm going to read Colin Tinto's description on IMDb about what this movie is, and I think it's a little better. A Blade Runner must pursue and terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. That's it. Doesn't tell me what a Blade Runner is. No, but I think it's a little better than this half paragraph that just says how amazing this movie is. Yeah, I like that one, though, because we get to hear about Harrison Ford's uh, glistening wet body. (laughs) It's really not far off from that. (laughs) So yeah, if you guys want to watch along with us, you can find it at the usual places for the $3.99, Amazon Prime, YouTube, Vudu, and Google Play. And then if you have CBS All Access, it's on there as well. Are all these collectively the final cut? Yes, they are the final cut. That is the easiest cut to find um, if you don't have any kind of collector's edition just because that's the one that Ridley Scott himself promotes and says is the real cut of the movie. So if you just walk up to Ridley Scott and ask and get the final cut, he'll just hand you one. Honestly, at this point in his life, he may have the final cut (laughs) 
And then, like, a thousand cuts of Alien Covenant as well, just because... Yeah. He actually just carries the film around <laughs> on him. I, at this point, I don't doubt it. This man maybe is a little insane at this point in his career. But um, before you even ask, E, this movie does have a rating. It's rated R for violence and brief nudity. Why do they always have to have nudity? Nudity is cool, man. It's gross. Have you ever seen, like, a no. body but without a shirt? That's pretty neat, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> well... I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> to be fair, like in the 80s and 90s, there were I'm pretty sure that there were entire scenes added to a movie just because the director was like, we need more boobs. Oh, there's a ton of that in the 80s and 90s. There better be a yeah. dick in this. Always thing. more boobs, but no dangling dick. Yeah. I just want to see those words in the script. He just <laughs> massive pulls out his massive dangling dick. And I want it to be such an instilled into Hollywood that dangling and they just it's like dangling just like fucking italicized and fucking bold dangling everyone's like there's the dangling it's like Harry we gotta see the dangling he's like no problem that's what my job is <laughs> had Hollywood gone a different way and a lot of boobs but also a lot of dicks it has to work for both right then they could have called him big dangles and they blew it <laughs> I'm sure whoever wrote the back of the box for the final cut probably wishes that there was more Harrison Ford dangling dick. <laughs> I like to think that his nickname would have become Bo Dangles. I think that's already taken. <laughs> it's not taken. He who has that name. <laughs> I think that's already taken. I eat there. <laughs> Which actually I'm shocked. They have Bo Jangles in Colorado. Uh, I've just heard of it. <laughs> Okay, that's Are why those I real. That I just thought it was like in this mythical place that everyone imagined. Bojangles? Yeah, like everyone just imagined it. Oh well, no, because we have it here in the South. But I was like, in case they don't have it in Colorado, then I just subtly made a, a joke about E just eating dick, and I don't want that to be a case. I, I was referencing a fast food place. <laughs> I mean, that was. No. Because you said Bodangles, just in my mind, that became the name of the place. So, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what, what do you mean? I also don't know what Bojangles even sells. I just imagine they sell you, like, a ring of onion rings. It's, uh, it, it's, it's like comfort breakfast foods. So, like, cinnamon rolls and stuff, but, like... Oh, that sounds great. It's, it's cinnamon rolls, taste. biscuits and gravy, uh, probably grits. Dicks. Yeah, biscuits and gravy is a huge one. The biscuits and gravy is a... Might be Bojangles that does it. Look, I, they're not fucking paying me to say this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Not... You just wanted to make sure you didn't insinuate that I'm sucking a lot of dick. <laughs> and uh, this movie also does have a runtime. <laughs> what? 117 minutes, so just under two hours. So, yeah. Uh, is there anything else we need to get out the way then? Um, I think we could just... Go watch this movie and uh, come on back with our non-spoiler takes. All right, be back in a little bit. And we're back from watching Blade Runner, the final cut. And we're going to give our spoiler-free opinions and whether the person would buy, rent, stream, or pass on the movie. Let's go ahead and start with E. Hello, um... So I like a lot of things about the movie. I like the world building. I like the designs. I like the soundtrack is fucking godlike. So good. Um, I don't like the story. I think it's kind of dumb. Okay. Uh, I don't like the dialogue. 
I think it's really stilted in a lot of places, and I don't think that's on purpose. But yeah, it's, uh, I think if you're looking for something like this, you might be more interested. I just think my monkey brain can't hold the, my attention long enough to really get into it. But I guess I, I think I would say stream it at least. It's definitely worth looking at because it looks really good. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Let's head on over to Rocky then. I, I actually, I really like this movie. This is a cool movie. <laughs> it's a it's a cool I I like it. It's a it's a cool movie and I would I could see myself buying this movie. It's pretty dope. What what'd you like? Well, okay, so I didn't mind the dialogue. I don't feel like the dialogue was was a big deal for the movie. It didn't make or break the movie. It was 80s dialogue, you know. That's what it felt like to me. Like I felt like I was watching an 80s movie. Um what I really liked about this movie was, A, I didn't expect any of what I was watching. It is definitely a movie which sci-fi tropes have probably been built off of, because I know that this movie is particularly famous. But when I watched it, it felt very novel. I felt like I was watching. And one of the things I really liked about it is there wasn't like little monsters or goblins or aliens. I mean, this was all pretty much like a a human world besides, you know, with the replicants, you know, so there, it didn't, it didn't veer away from that. And it just, I really <laughs> like the, I really like the, um, I, I just really like the scenes. They felt really cool. And I really like how the story veered because it didn't really veer in a direction that felt like sci-fi. Actually, in some ways it felt like there was some horror elements to it. And then it veers, and there's there's some cool things that that they that they 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 hinted at, but they didn't touch on too deeply. So I, I like the potential plot twists in there that never really were entirely exposed. They were just there, you know. I don't know. It's just it's it's a it's a cool movie. Also, Harrison Ford does this like weird little face thing that I like. I don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> he has, like this weird, yeah, that weird grin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like it. And it, it just, the, the visuals are, this is a very beautiful movie. Yes. I feel like it's very beautiful. And the, 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 the main enemy is very captivating. And there's a really, you know, cool speech that he gives at the end. And just, just all of it is just very different from what, a sci-fi movie I feel is supposed to be. And yet it's very much a sci-fi movie, you know, and that's, I think that's cool. So yeah, I would definitely buy this movie. It's really, it's really good. Awesome. And on to Robbie. So I do have mixed feelings about this movie, but an overall generalization of it. I do like the movie. Like there are a lot of things I do like of it. And I am uh, a big fan of Philip K. Dick's writing, uh, writing and like kind of his, questions on humanity and stuff like that and like he never really gives a clear answer to the questions that he's presenting towards you and i do like that style of writing that he does which as dry is probably going to say as a fun fact for this movie is that this is based off of a story that was written by philip k dick it is based off of do androids dream dream of electric uh do androids dream of electric sheep it is technically based off of that um but ridley scott nor the writer of the film ever read a single sentence in that book just the title (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> they Lovely. got they got a basic description of what that book is supposed to be about 
and they never even opened it up. Uh, so much so to where Philip K. Dick, at a certain point, was offered $400,000 to write a book adaptation of the film, and he turned it down, at which point they turned to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, they changed the name to Blade Runner, and used the movie's art. <laughs> well, that's such a weird thing, though. Like, why even bother... Like, unless you just really like that title, which it is a really neat title. Great title. I think they just like the but, concept like, of that. I guess, but... The, again, like they could, they just changed the name of the movie. I don't think they really changed that much else, considering they didn't really read it. Uh, yeah, there's almost nothing to do. Uh, it's a thematic. Thematically, it has a lot to do with the book. Uh, story wise, yeah. literally nothing. But that's what I mean. Like, can you really say it's based off a book if it's just a theme? Yeah. <laughs> like, is every is every thing after every fantasy after Lord of the Rings? Based off Lord of the Rings, kind of <laughs> a, a little bit. I but... wouldn't say they're based off. I say they get inspired by. It. There are some that are clearly like just stealing well, yeah, it. But... I mean, also, like you got to think like Lord of the Rings had huge, huge inspiration from things like Beowulf and stuff too. You know, so I mean, it's it's, but that's 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 creativity. Nothing's ever original. And I mean, you you there there are these like quote-unquote, the gods that came before you, and you build off them. So, like, if you're writing fantasy now, how could you not reference Lord of the Rings? Yeah. That's the god that came before you. When J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, how could he not reference those that came before him? You're just building off the work that's already been done, you know? Well, it's kind of like one of those tropes I was going to say with, uh, if you watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, I, I don't know if it's in the original, but I know it's in the remake of it where they say it's based off true events. It's not like at all. Like uh, the true events that's talking about that the Chainsaw Massacre is based off of is the murders that H.H. Holmes did. If I'm a, that, that's no, right. I one, think isn't it? it's Ed Jean. I think or it might be. Chainsaw yeah, it might Massacre's, be Ed Jean. And he Ed did Jean. like three old women or something. Yeah, something like it's, that. It was but not like, as impressive as the Chainsaw yeah, Massacre. I want to say it was Ed Gein. I, I almost want to look it up. I know it will take too long for me to actually just look it up. It was a mixture of Ed Gein and H.H. H. Holmes, and he thought of that while he was in a shopping mall and saw a chainsaw. Yeah, and that's the, <laughs> that's the true events that the Chainsaw Massacre is, are based off of. I mean, you can literally just say things are based off true events. It doesn't have to be, like, specifically based off. You don't even have yeah. to be telling the truth. Yeah. For instance, Fargo it starts off saying everything in this movie is based off true events. It's 100% not. Literally nothing in that. We could have made a true event of he went to a meat shop once. No, even no, even they have said it's. We just did that because we thought it would get attention. <laughs> also, I mean, if you make like a fantasy, and uh, again, Lord of the Rings was one of the reasons why that was a real event that happened. Someone actually wrote those books, so you can say <laughs> this is basically. <laughs> That's what I would do. I want to make like a cartoon about a talking dog or something and then just be like, yeah, this is based off true events. You're like, wait, what? When was there a talking dog? Did I, did I miss that? Yeah, I remember Garfield. There's a dog in there that talks once, I think. That's true. Yeah, in those cases of uh, those being based off true events, like this movie is based off of Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. Yeah, sorry to cut you off there, Robbie. Keep going. <laughs> oh, you're fine. But uh, anyways, I was going to say... Uh, like, you know, I do like like the overall story behind it, though. It is very much a slow burn in ways that it doesn't need to be. I feel like they don't shine enough of a spotlight on certain characters. Like Rocky was saying, um, 
the main bad guy. He's probably, in my opinion, the most interesting character in this entire movie, and he gets hardly any screen time, in my opinion. And like certain scenes just burn way too slow for what they need to be. But other than that, like this movie, all in all, it is a good movie. Uh, what we know as cyberpunk today was based or is basically based off of what this movie started. And like Rocky would say, just inspired it to, you know, to what it is today. But like and all in all, like I said, it and well, actually, I guess one thing I love and I hate the fact that it is kind of a, uh, a style over substance movie. But all in all, I do actually really like this movie. I would say it is a buy or if anything, it's at least a stream to our a rent because I feel like this is like one of those movies that people should watch. Like it is very, very ingrained in pop culture and is very worth seeing if you're into, you know, the pop culture scene or like kind of almost a look back of like where we came from to get to this point in styles of movies and styles of sci-fi. All right. Um, I guess that's my turn. If you want. Um, so I will disagree with Robbie. I think it's not a style over substance situation. I honestly do think that the movie asks a lot of questions about humanity and what humanity is and what it is to exist and or have a soul or what it is to even be alive. And I think those are fairly deep questions that the movie does ask. But it also does push that style quite a bit. It is very stylish. It's a fucking gorgeous movie. Every single shot of it just leaks atmosphere. I I agree with you. I do think that it is a little long in the tooth, but I think for what it's trying to achieve, it does kind of need to be that because it needs you to feel this kind of damp grossness that the world exists in and feeling what these characters go through. And like, it it kind of gives you an idea of the humanity that they face every day uh, and deal with. And like, I think you kind of do need that in order to, in order for the deeper themes of the movie to really uh, be as poignant of questions as they are. Uh, I I obviously absolutely love this movie. It's fantastic. I before doing this one, I have the like I said the Final Cut Blu-ray. I tried to hunt down a 4K copy, and that's just a fucking chore and expensive as fuck. So cost 4K, uh, sixty-five dollars for a used copy. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of money. So maybe one day I'll have it in my collection, but probably not anytime soon. Yeah, I uh, I absolutely love this movie. Definitely a buy for me. Um, but for a lot of the deeper things that we can really get into, that's going to have to be spoilery stuff because the second we start talking about any of that stuff, it kind of ruins the movie for you. So if you somehow don't know about what this movie really is about um, and you don't want it spoiled for you, I, I beg and plead with you guys, please go watch it. We have two buys and maybe a third buy and at least a stream, maybe two streams. Some recommendations to go and check this film out no matter no what. No one said pass, so that should Nobody give said s- pass. So that's a good indication that maybe you should check it out if you're all interested. Yeah, we're going to go deep into spoilers here. So we'll be right back. And we are in the spoilers. And so we're just going to hit you with a quick synopsis here. It's, it's fairly basic, really. Um, ex-cop who used to run down... Uh, replicants, cyborgs, the not reals of the world. Uh, he used to be great at it, and he's retired. And he gets hired back on to go after these specific four and hunt them down and kill them and get rid of them because replicants are evil and they shouldn't be running around with the rest of the people. And he goes through, has a fantastic, uh, not a fantastic adventure. He has an adventure and kills a whole bunch of replicants and uh, falls in love on the way. 
with a replicant and uh, maybe lives happily ever after, maybe doesn't. Maybe lives. But he does end up eliminating all of the replicants. That's incorrect. Well, except for the one he runs away with. You're correct. <laughs> uh, that's the basic synopsis of it. We are, of course, once we get into the discussions of it, going to go far, far deeper into what all of that really means. But like I promised earlier, I am going to go into the different versions of this film. There are so many versions of this movie. Um, there are five, though, that people talk about. They're the biggest differences and the ones that are uh, the most readily available to find and watch. You have the work print, which is missing quite a few things and is mostly shown to test audiences primarily. Didn't even have credits when it was shown. It's, it just says the end and then exit music for people to leave. Then we have one of the most controversial things that happened with this movie, the U.S. theatrical cut, which had Harrison Ford doing voiceover, a happy ending, to where they, uh, Harrison Ford and the, gr- and the replicant girl, get in the elevator and drive away. And in voiceover narrative, Deckard informs us that despite Gaff had said, it's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? And uh, turns out Rachel doesn't have that built-in four-year limit to her lifespan that the other replicants oh, have. Oh, fuck off. It straight up just says it uh, um, in the theatrical cut. And there's like 14 voiceover sections in the movie <laughs> because... Because Americans are dumb and can't understand anything. Well, like, test audiences with the uh, work print, they were straight up confused. So the voiceover was an attempt to be like, here's exactly what's happening, dummies. Which, there is a bit of controversy around that as well. Supposedly, a lot of people through the years have been saying, like, that was the producers, like, they put that in. And the reason why the voiceover's so bad, because it's pretty famously badly spoken, like, Harrison Ford also hated it, so he purposely went and made it bad. And Harrison Ford went out there, I think it was like 2001 or something like that, he's like, no, I didn't purposely make it bad. I think it was just bad, and I wasn't into it, so, like, I gave it the best that I could, and if it ended up bad, like, I don't know. I just did a bad job, and it was a bad script. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one is that uh, Ridley Scott, it was uh, widely thought that Ridley Scott hated it, and he never wanted the voiceover. That's not true. Him and Harrison Ford both wanted a voiceover throughout the movie, um, but Ridley Scott has gone on record in commentaries and interviews and stuff saying, like, I... I wanted this. Like I wanted voiceover, but me and Harrison like never really meshed. Like we never figured it out, and so we never found a good one. It's not that he didn't want a voiceover. He just thinks that voiceovers are really hard. Once the people do them well, they do them really well. But so few do it well. Because so that was one of the bigger controversies that have been said about the theatrical cut throughout the years. Um, it's pretty bad and feels really dumbed down. Actually, uh, it feels almost like an action movie instead of the weird spy noir thriller thing that it Why, feels like. when they made it for American audiences, they decided to ramp up the idea of an action movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then there's the international cut, which has three additional violent scenes and is also usually known as the Criterion cut, because that's the one that's in the Criterion collection, or the unrated cut. Uh, it was later re-released as the 10th anniversary edition, if you want to try and find a physical version of that. I think they might have a Criterion cut of it that's physical as well. Then we have what is the nomenclature called the director's cut, um, which came from a 70, 70 millimeter cut of the film that was literally just found in a tote, in a box. <laughs> like, nobody knew it even existed anymore. And I think it was like an art director or something like that who just like saved everything. He didn't even know, remember he saved it, and he just found it one day. And so they started showing it in theaters as the director's cut. Uh, and it got pretty big. It went into 16 theaters, which is, at the time... Pretty wide for something so small. Um, and really saw it eventually came out and he like didn't approve of it. He's like, this is not the director's cut. 
First of all, it lacks a key scene. Uh, it doesn't have the music I wanted at the end. It just has placement in music from Planet of the Apes that was in that movie at the very ending. And it's cut poorly. Like, it, it's cut like shit. It feels so god-awful. And to WB's credit, they actually did pull the film. Neat. And they took some notes about, like, okay, what do we do, Ridley Scott? Like, how do we make a real director's cut? And they took a bunch of notes, and they didn't follow most of them. <laughs> uh, and then they put that version out, and uh, that version was eventually put out as the uh, director's cut. And they're just um, like, this is bullshit. Fuck off. <laughs> so th- the note they did take is that they took out the voiceover and the unicorn sequence in the movie where, E, you were like, what the fuck is going on? One of the times I was like, what the fuck yeah, is going on? One of the on? times. Uh, when he's at the piano in that unicorn dream, um, Ridley Scott needed that in the movie mm-hmm. for it to be his movie. That was the vital scene he wanted then? It, or It is vital. That scene actually changes what the movie is. No, I agree. Like, I'm asking, is that the vital scene he was talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's the okay. one. Um, and uh, removed the happy ending. Good. So, yes, it just, the elevator thing that you see in the final cut, that's, they ch- changed it to that. And then, of course, uh, the final version is the final cut, which is the version we watched, and uh, has the extended unicorn dream sequence, no happy ending, no voiceover, and all the violent scenes from the international version are cut in as well. This is the only cut of the film where Ridley Scott had full creative control to do everything he wanted. And this is the only one that he approves of. So yeah, these five versions were also all uh, included in a 2007 five-disc Ultimate Collector's Edition that came out on HD DVD and Blu-ray, and then again in a 30th anniversary edition, uh, Collector's Edition in 2012. So if you want all five of those editions for some obnoxious reason, they are out there. So Uh, you can watch... This movie and inferior versions of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people actually like the theatrical version because it it's feels illegal. more like a noir, like cop thriller kind of thing. Like the international one, or no, the international one was just the uh, theatrical one with more violence. So maybe if you like like voiceover narrative stuff and you actually liked that, then maybe the international version is kind of the way to go. I mean, you just had this sit- the scene of him sitting and it's like of all the offices she had to walk into, she walked into mine. Not far off. <laughs> Not far off. He. <laughs> uh, also, if you're curious about it, too, if you actually want to get the five disc uh, complete collector's edition for it on Amazon, it's on Blu-ray for one hundred and twenty five dollars U.S. So that's twenty five dollars a CD. That's not the worst. That's not terrible. Uh, it actually it's not also, terrible, but it's not great either. <laughs> that edition, that uh, collector's edition actually did also come with a documentary about the making of it and a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff with like fun facts that we'll have here today. Because thankfully, the internet shares those fun facts in those documentaries. What? <laughs> internet ruins everything again. It kind of does. No secrets allowed. <laughs> but, yeah. So I think one of the more interesting things to talk about with this movie is the theme of humanity. Yeah. Um, throughout the whole thing, there is a question put into place pretty early on. It's just, it's just an egg of a question that uh, Tyrell, is that the, that's the corporate name, I believe? Um, I can't remember a single yeah, name Terrell of is any the, of these characters. Terrell is the name of that corporation, yeah. Yeah. He asked that question, like, or it was either him or the uh, replicant when he goes to talk to them, asks, like, how do you know you're human? Have you ever done the test on yourself? Um, And it's just like an egg of a question, just a seed plants in there. And if you're not paying attention, then you don't realize that that question's also planted in you, the viewer. And whether or not it takes, like, depends on... on I think reviewings and stuff like that and like going back and thinking about it. Uh, or maybe the brighter people caught it on the first time. I know I didn't, but yeah. Um, 
so it kind of plants that seed of like he's questioning himself uh what yeah. what is he is he human is he not and you get to kind of see this play out uh he's kind of being toyed with through the whole thing the the guy that goes and gets him when he's eating noodles at the beginning um he's kind of toying with me speaking another language he's not really talking directly to him he makes origami things throughout the whole movie which ends up being extremely vital like that that origami thing is maybe the linchpin of what of discussion for this film which i want to i want to see what rocky and e think about this uh what do you guys think about about the origami and the unicorn thing I mean, I would. I just assumed it was the idea of questioning reality. Unicorns are a mythical being that aren't truly there. However, are based off of a real life thing being weird, stretching and confusing of tales of things like narwhals. Not narwhal. Actually, yeah, I think so. Narwhals and <laughs> stuff like that. And like, if it's the theme of what is real, what isn't. And at the end, I thought it was. As much as the scene's weird when you watch the movie, <laughs> it's a neat little callback to where it's like, did he, did that guy come for him? Did the guy just come for what's her face? Like stuff like that. It's kind of neat. And it's one of like, I don't know, like, I think just that being a question that I think about a lot makes it less novel to me. Okay. I think there's a lot of medium that, really explores that question in the sense I watched those first. It's less of a really grandiose idea. Okay, that's fair. What do you think, Rocky? I think it was um, an answer. I think that question of, am I, like, am I, am I human? Am I a replicant? You know, it's, you are what you choose to believe. <clears throat> you get to choose what you believe in in the end. So, I mean, that was, to me, what the my interpretation of it was because it's a fantasy one way or another. Right. I mean, you're, you're in this fucking dying world, you know, everyone's mushed together like fucking cattle. Right. I mean, it's, it's one way or another is a fantasy. I mean, how, how real are humans? How, how alive are humans? I mean, what are we? I mean, the replicants weren't so different from the people. Not Not really. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's that to me, that was the answer. The, the origami piece. I mean, he had the dream of the actual unicorn, and then there's just the the little origami, which is just a replicant, right, of the actual thing. And I mean, that's that's the thing. You you are what you you choose to believe. What what does it matter if you if you believe in it? Right. That's and, that's something that I really like about the origami because it plants that he does origami throughout the whole thing. It starts off he does an origami chicken. You see that first. And then he does an origami human. You see that. Um, and then the last origami you see is the unicorn, which puts into question with that, uh, who really lives, right, is what it says at the end. And so it's, as a humanity, like, humans live just as much as everybody else, like, everybody exists and doesn't exist in the same exact level. But in the, in the core of the story, it also puts into question Decker's humanity, of whether he is a replicant himself or not. Right, um, kind of parallels the scene with him and uh, what's her face when he reveals to her that she is a replicant. Right, he or... starts telling her her own memories. Right, um, and so like that that unicorn scene that is so pivotal to that thing at the end with the unicorn being important at all. Um, I can't imagine watching a version of this movie without it's it's such a small thing too. It's a five second clip of a unicorn just running along, and that just changes the entire context of what this movie is. It's so it's so insane to me that that small little thing can do that. 
Because it's basically him saying like, hey, like, I know your memories too. Bam, here's a unicorn. I want to ask a question. I don't know if you'll have an answer for me. So when the replicants are on screen, they often do this thing where they'll have the lighting make their uh, pupils turn kind of orange and stuff. Does it ever do that with uh, Rick? Decker? Decker. Deckard? Um, that's, I am so glad you caught that. Yeah, so all the replicants, like even the animal replicants in it, it'll show their eyes and there'll be this orange tinge glow in their pupil. For every replicant, you see that. There is one scene where you see that in Deckard's eyes. Yeah, you do. It's for a split second, too. And from what I heard, that actually wasn't in the theatrical cut either, uh, that part. But it is for just a split second. You see an orange tinge in his eyes and it's supposed to just plant that question in your eyes or plant that question in your head as if he's a replicant or not. And honestly, that's something that I missed the first. There's a couple things that I missed the first time watching this that I caught the second time around. I, I do agree with you that this does have a very deep question about humanity and like what makes us human and what would make us a difference between like a replicant and a human and like things like that. Like, you know, those kind of questions are questions on humanity. But like, that's why I say it's kind of a style over substance, though, is because it's very in your face with the style of everything that's going on in the movie. And then like, it's very, very, it just hints at the substance underneath it. Like there is a very deep and rich substance underneath it, but the style just stacks on top of it by a lot. In my opinion, if you were to look back at this movie, who lived, if you, if you could only say one person, in this movie lived just by on, by behavior and experience and what we view life to be, who was the person that lived the most? I, I want mean, to say the noodle guy. I would honestly, <laughs> I would argue Roy, honestly. The, like the guy serving noodles? Yeah, he seemed like he had his life together. He never really <laughs> seemed like he was questioning anything. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's such a perfect answer. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's wrong with that answer? <laughs> um... But personally, I think it's the guy that we would see as the villain. Yeah, yeah. Roy, Roy. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I mean, what what he had what four years of life and the things he did. I mean, he he experienced what it means to be human on every level. He saw extreme carnage. He built connection with these people. He had a relationship with that with that uh, woman that would seem relatively close he was extraordinarily murderous and then at the very end he saves that person out of some form of compassion or something and then he has to face losing his memories all all at once i mean he literally encapsulated the entirety of 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 human experience and it's insanity i was gonna say it is something that tyrell actually says to him before roy kills him too is he tells him a flame that burns twice as bright only burns for half as long. And you have burned very, very bright, my friend. Yeah. And it's such a small line, but honestly, it's kind of beautiful. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of small snippets like that that are very beautiful when it comes to dialogue in this movie. And I feel like a lot of it does come from Roy, too. Like, I, w- I wish there was more scenes with him in this movie. He's really good. He's a neat character. He- very good. But if you think about it, if, if he had more scenes, it destroys the point. Yeah, it's true. Right? Because it's, it is that embodiment of, of fleeting life. And I mean, if you look at the main character, when does when does he, he actually live? I mean, when he makes that decision with Rachel in the end, right? That's when he, he sees that rep, replica of the unicorn and there's his choice. What does it matter? Live your fucking dream. Right? Yeah. right? And I mean... That's that's was my take from it. 
Livia Stay like take. there's no tomorrow. <laughs> but he 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 was totally with with the with the with the noodle guy. <laughs> was like that's the life. <laughs> well, he seemed like he was good. He like, knows multiple languages. He has a nice little noodle shop. He seems to be friendly with all his customers. Like I don't know what. <laughs> You don't give two fucks when someone's just arrested right in front of his noodle shop. Yeah, well, <laughs> I just like with Roy at the end, like it was he was dying and he's just going to get fucking weird with it. So he's like howling and shit and Fuck just it. just <laughs> just going as fucking hard as possible. Like I'm literally going to wrench out the the rat last of, of of life. Also, what was very interesting versus Roy and the other replicant, the other guy, was they both talked about fear, right? Right. Yeah. And um uh, what it meant and the other one seemed kind of consumed with the idea of fear uh and then roy's like isn't it great to to live a life of fear he's like when you live a life of fear you're you're that's what it means to be a slave right and it's and then roy entirely did not live in the realms of fear and he's obviously a a bad person you don't want to go around butchering people and (laughs) yeah probably not no yeah you don't want to do that but Roy, in the end, was the most human, and, and I think it. I think it's also a question of, of fear too. You know, like there, there's a lot to be afraid of. That question, like, am I even human, is a scary question. But it is. That's why this is so great because you could watch this as its own movie, and you could completely skip over that. Like, you could, you could miss that that deeper point if you, if you don't want it. Like, it can just be a cool cyberpunk movie if you want it to be but i think the fact that it has more underlying it, it makes it a deeper experience i'm gonna say while we're while we're kind of on the topic of the ending and that, stuff that whole movie's about living life i just realized that <laughs> yeah, yeah it is yeah huh. that's pretty cool <laughs> but yeah, like while we're on kind of the ending topic i'm gonna go ahead and say, i can't take the ending with an ounce of seriousness at all like i want to say about the last 15 minutes, maybe even longer, where he goes into J.R. Sherman. What? I don't remember his name. <laughs> the the robot maker's place? Yeah. When when they're in that. J.F. Sebastian. J.F. Sebastian. I, like, as soon as he discovers the girl replicant, I'm out. Like, it's immediately so ridiculous and over the top. She's doing fucking backflips everywhere. And then Roy shows up. He takes off his shirt and pants almost immediately. Fuck it, right? What does he have? 30 minutes left to live? <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> his final death scene. I know you're supposed to take it seriously because he gives this grandiose speech. He's fucking holding a dove and releases the dove when he dies. It's like, it's so that ridiculous. Is that, that part's pretty wacky. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking, like, when I first saw this, Dry can attest to this. I thought like his plan was like he was gonna have the dove come out and start pecking at uh, Rick's fingers, whatever his Decker. name, Decker's fingers. <laughs> I thought that was the plan there. I think it was mostly just a bunch of symbolism, is what that was. Yeah, I think it's there to punch the point home of humanity. I, I just think it's a little ham-fisted at that point that when he's is. releasing a dove. Um, and like I also so with the the tears like the tears like rain. I think the quote is, um... Oh, yeah, it gets lost like tears in the rain. Yeah, uh, that part I was worried was gonna be rude to me, because, uh, I had the quote attributed to lost like tears of chocolate rain, 
in a remix that I like with <laughs> Chocolate Rain in that, but <laughs> I don't think I would have taken it seriously anyways, quite frankly. Also, I know you say, God damn it, Chocolate Rain honestly has a lot of deep symbolism and stuff that really does mesh with the ideals of the movie. It's just, like, of I- course, that's your point of reference, is a fucking <laughs> song remix with Chocolate Rain. Yeah, why not? <laughs> could, you, could, you, could someone make... Like a a like a YouTube clip of just like different parts of this movie with chocolate rain. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, I I know it's silly, but like, uh, like this is one of the parts that kind of takes me out of the movie. Not like to the point where I'm like dissing disliking this movie or anything. I'm just like so over what is going on that I can't like come back. <laughs> See, and, like, I'm on the opposite side of that. I think, like, once that confrontation starts, like, I am sucked in all the way. Like, it is just so mesmerizing what's happening. And the the person who's about to lose their life is the one that appreciates it the most. And he's doing whatever he wants. He's doing the exact thing that he wants to do. And he's he's not there to kill Deckard. Like, their plan, they did their plan. Like, they killed Tyrell. They were trying to find a way to live longer. They couldn't do it, and they were just going to die. Like, that was the plan. They had no intentions of going after Deckard. It's like he never intended to kill him at the end. But he wanted to play a game. Like, he still wanted to have fun and live his life. And so, that's what he did. One other little neat thing that happens in that scene is, through all of that, Deckard doesn't say a single word. Yeah. I just like that a lot. It's cool. Speaks volumes when you can show complex emotions of a character without having them say anything. Yeah. Show, don't tell, and all of that jazz. Yeah. And, like, I, I know that you... Like, really thought that that last speech was, like, super silly, but, like, I honestly I didn't love think it. the speech was silly. I thought the circumstances surrounding the speech were silly. <laughs> it is a fucking beautiful speech. And it is something that recently I've been coming a lot to grips with, because if you, if you look at trying to live a life of meaning is so inherently meaningless because everything's going to go. It all vanishes. You cannot hold on to anything. It all slips away. So to not grasp this this fleeting thing, you know, and to just to try to fly with it for as long in a fucking drunken stupor. Obviously, not the whole killing bit. I'm not saying go around <laughs> and slaughter everybody. Go quick, do it quick. <laughs> let that let that animal rage fill you and get drunk. No, I. Would, well, what I'm saying is, like, to, to not... The, the, the thing about him, for, for the villain that he was, he was so unapologetically alive, you know? Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's cool. He didn't have a fucking job like Decker. He didn't have a meaning. He didn't have a purpose. He rebelled against the idea of purpose. He was a machine. He had a role, and he rebelled against the concept of purpose. Right? Who knows what the fuck he did that during that whole time after rebelling? Right? It's not, oh, that's not what's important. He did whatever the fuck. Did what he wanted. Whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's cool because it is looking for meaning in life is so inherently meaningless when life itself is is the point. That's the prize. You already have the prize. Being here, you already have the thing. So it's not what should I do with it. What do I want to do with it? That's that's the question. Yeah. And I think that's that's really cool. I like that. Um, to go back to something that E mentioned earlier with the uh, red lights in uh, the the replicant's eyes. Right, right. The way they achieved that is uh, they just got a mirror 
like a small mirror and shine light on it and then shined it in the actors at the actors. Ouch. <laughs> so uh props to Rashomon there, I suppose, Robbie. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Oh no. Also, I I meant to say this way earlier. I have a retraction from our Rashomon episode. Okay. I told E that I think critics are, for the most part, right about movies being good or bad. Um, and specifically about... Yeah, you disagreed with all of them whenever you say you didn't like Rashomon. <laughs> um, specifically about Ghostbusters. Right, yeah, I thought so. Um, critics actually, for the most part, really did enjoy that, and they're wrong. <laughs> they, uh, they didn't do a good job, they failed humanity at that point, and they shouldn't have told people that they should go see it. <laughs> so my one counterpoint that my actual counterpoint to you was correct you guys are still bringing up the Rashomon feud yeah <laughs> yes no this was just like he told me that critics don't wrong and I said Ghostbusters 2016 yeah, specifically 20, so I was like excuse you <laughs> so I was wrong <laughs> Anyway, it's back to existentialism and what it means to be a human. <laughs> well, and like with some of those things too, because like I do agree with Rocky whenever he says that he feels like Roy lived more than anyone else, and that is very true. And in a lot of weird ways, he had more humanity than anyone else in this movie did too. And I think that's like one of the big things that they try to show in this movie is that like some of the replicants are have more humanity in them than a lot of the actual humans do. Yeah, I mean, with this movie. if you pay attention to Decker at all, like, He's a fucking morose asshole. He just drinks and is sad all the time. He doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He just sits and drinks and eats. That's what his life is. Correction. He does He does his job like he's supposed to. That's true. Well, he wasn't, That's he true. didn't have a job he's at the start. Boy. He retired until they roped him back into it. He's the freest he ever was. But also, was that his job before? Or is that just the memories that they've put into him because he's not human? Or is he human? And that is also a possibility, too. I think it's stupid to... Some- Implant the memory to retire him. <laughs> Why? It builds that uh, humanity in him more. So he thinks he's human. So he doesn't care about going after replicants anymore. Well, you could also just instill, like, this sense of nationalism and racism, I guess, against replicants. You could. But it makes... And and he rebels against that supposed function because he doesn't do the job of Rachel that he's supposed yeah, to. He falls in love. Which is the point. Yeah. I'm gonna... This might be a hot take. Uh, I think the whole romance subplot is really underbaked and stupid. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say it. I actually, I kind of agree. I, I don't feel like the romance was done the best in this, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't the initial point for me either. So it wasn't always. Also, there was a really cringe moment. Yeah, yeah. We that, should talk felt... about this. We're all talking about the same thing. I know we are. Whenever they have yeah, sex, yeah. she goes to leave, and he fucking slams the door on her and then pushes her against a wall. That yeah. The first time I even saw this movie, like, this is fucking rapey. Like, this is super fucking yeah, bad. It, does. Like, it feels very rapey. That is a glamorization of that, which I think was kind which, of bigger in the 80s. Uh, it's actually one of those things, because uh, I did look that up. Uh, there was somebody asking, like, did Decker just rape Rachel in that movie? Was, like, one of the question that they asked. And, like, one of the longest answers was, no, he didn't. And what it was is... Um, because she's a replicant, she can't, and she knows that she's a replicant now. She can't trust what her emotions are, but he's trained to know what her emotions are. So that was the whole idea behind that, which also feels rapey. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super. That's like manipulative. <laughs> like yeah, like even that explanation feels super fucking shitty. Classic internet victim yeah. blaming. <laughs> wow. Fair. fair. 
Well, also, but even even beyond internet, I mean, it was it was established in the eighties. I mean, most movies objectified the shit out of women yeah. mm-hmm. in the eighties. You know, so I mean that that was something that was like back then, like that scene was probably and was like, yeah, boy, <laughs> that's the one. And then you had all these little kids growing up in the nineties, like, oh, all right, and now you know. All these confused guys because they have to learn that that's actually not okay. Uh, you know what? <laughs> They're taking their cues from fucking 80s movies. If anybody saw this movie, you'd be 100% correct. But we'll get into that at the end. <laughs> yes, I don't... Like, I know every time they even think about having a romance subplot, I get annoyed at it. But, like, does this one just felt really bad? I feel like you could just have, a, like, just a strong friendship between these characters and still get, like... <laughs> no, I mean, like... I get, okay, I get that I can't, I don't understand what it's like to be in a relationship and the strength of that, but, like, I have, like, this sense of camaraderie with my friends that would probably drive me to do stuff like this at the end where you abandon your life because of just how strong your feelings are, and I feel like it's not necessary that they have to have this quote-unquote relationship that I don't think even gets brought up from anywhere because their interactions before this are... Hey, you're a replicant. Uh, maybe just kidding, cause you look sad, and then just so, there's just nothing, no build up to it. So I think it's I'll dumb. be the third person in to say that I agree that I think the romance is half baked, but the romance is also necessary because for most people, love is a very humanity thing to do. Falling in love and being attracted to people is very human. But <laughs> but I I will say he's probably writing a um a a wave that has yet to fully emerge because I think you're going to see as the generations continue they're going to share E's viewpoint. You're probably right. Yeah. So yeah, I I was going to say like so we don't really know what it, what how E feels towards this. We you know we're we're different creatures. So but I so I'm hearing exactly what you're saying and all I'm going to say is in the 80s people were concerned with cocaine. And <laughs> <laughs> that's all you're they wanted wrong. from life e, they were, those were the creatures they were I don't like. so what you're saying is 100% in my eyes it's validated that's just okay. how you function it's how a lot of people are going to continue to function but back then if you didn't have your, your dick in something you better have something in your nose and that was <laughs> the idea they lived behind yeah I get like Again, like, it is just something I just don't want, I won't understand unless at some point in my life I fall in love. But, like, I don't, I don't like the idea that the only love that matters is romantic love. I think there's such a powerful emotion of platonic love. And maybe it's because it's not really represented in media as well as romantic love is why I feel so strongly that, like, you can easily write a lot of these characters, especially ones that have such half-baked romance subplots in a way that can just be a genuine friendship. I don't, I don't, I think half-baked is maybe the wrong The term. fucking E. The fucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, I, I think it that's... wasn't the love, it was the suggestion of hot, steamy sex <laughs> that would be justified through the love. This is the 80s. That was... No, I think it's, in, in media, I feel like it's one of those things, like platonic love is still a thing, but I feel like for most media outlets, it's easier to portray a strong sense of feeling whenever it's more of a romantic love than it is a platonic love, like a friendship. Yeah, like, yeah, that's basically what I was going to say. Like, I don't think the romance is half-baked. I think it's just, it's not the centerpiece. It's just the the turning point, I guess, um, to where he sees that maybe replicants aren't 
just evil beings out to kill everybody like they were like he's been told. And so that that switches the thing of humanity in him. Um and I think that that is and more it difficult. The plot point forward. It does. And I think that's more difficult to portray um in the subtleties of friendship. But why is it? Like Okay, so how do you get across that they're like super super good friends that would like abandon everything for each other? You could do most of the scenes that were in this movie but take out the weird gross rapey part. Okay, so let's take out the part Man, where it's not... You guys suck. You guys are forgetting about the millennials. I mean, <laughs> hell, friends with benefits? Shit, we skipped the whole romance part. This movie, this movie, if it was for millennials, like, you're cool and stuff, but, you know, let's, you know, you want to take this out back? No, that's cool. I respect you. But if you want to, I'm totally for it. And that would have been the millennials. Because I don't think that... You would have to make the movie about that for that to be the thing. Because oh, you need to be able to have that buildup of, like, getting to know this person and having that camaraderie. I think there are pieces of media that do that really well, and I think most of them are coming-of-age stories. And there are those friendship stories out there, but I just, this isn't it. I get, but, like, why is it, like, it's half-baked regardless, in my opinion. Why does it get a pass because it's, like, romance? Like, why is it suddenly because, again, I don't even think it's done at all, basically. They just have this weird rapey scene and then just... There are a couple They're... of moments before that to where they slightly bond. And then I agree. I think I think the part where they have sex and quote unquote fall in love, it's bad. Like it's it's rapey and it's weird and it's bad. If it I think for the time it made sense, um, it doesn't now. I think is the easiest way to say it. I mean, if we if we really look at it, it probably wasn't justified back then. It was just society's the a society success comes in detoxifying itself over time. Right. right. right? I mean in the eighties they were too busy trying not to kill people from other countries. They're still trying to learn that lesson. So they weren't too worried about. (laughs) I mean, also to be fair, a lot of the guys who were in power in Hollywood around that time are people that nowadays are coming for, or people are coming forward and saying like, these guys are sexual predators. You're not wrong. Yeah. This is, this is why, even though I have the worst awful take, of it just being about fucking. This is why I know I'm correct. Because the people in Hollywood were fucking sexual predators. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, that's kind of... I don't know. I, I just, just get tired I, of it. I just think t- two people being like, we're good bros, let's leave the world. Like, I just don't think that hits as hard for most people. Why? Because like, I... No offense, you, guys, but I would not abandon <laughs> any of my life for any of you. I would tell you to go fuck yourself. No, but if Liz wanted me no, to abandon fair. everything... I have done it with her. I would do it again. Like, I just, that's a different level of feelings and emotion towards somebody. He's got you. See, he's actually got you in the chokehold, and he doesn't even know, because what he doesn't realize is your weakness for Lord of the Rings. And Frodo and Sam's relationship is the most goddamn beautiful thing ever. I think they're gay. So So what if they're gay? I still think that is a romantic relationship. Here's the thing between that, though, with them being a plutonic relationship, whether you think they're gay or not, that's over the course of three movies that are three hours long apiece. And this is over the course of two hours where there's multiple storylines going on. Right. So even if it is just friendship, you get that build up and you get to see them being camaraderie. It's not just three scenes or four scenes, which I just think you can't. It doesn't work with friendship. There well, are I'm situations saying it doesn't work with romantic stuff. Like, I think that's just a thing if you haven't experienced it yet. Land before fucking time? Like, those dinosaurs' friendships didn't mean shit? What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> e, I'm down with your argument. I, like, nice. I, I agree with E on this. I think you can totally have done it. I'm also cool with the romance thing. Still don't believe it was about romance. I'm pretty sure it was about sex, <laughs> which is cool, I guess. 
um, I'm not against what you're saying, E, but I think that it just doesn't fit everything as much as I think romance does. I get, uh, I'll just have to be one of the things I just don't get, I guess. To be fair, though, like with E, uh, if there wasn't like that rapey scene and they were just friends, there'd be a lot of people just like, well, how come he just abandons everything for this person? Is he in love with her? No, they're just really good friends. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, because nobody like, would abandon would things for a really good friend. I would. Yeah, you're fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, what about E? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm the, the thing is, I have the most not... extreme interpretation. And I'm the only one side with E. That's fucked up. <laughs> I'm not saying that E is wrong. I'm saying that E is the minority in this yes. argument. Like, there's a uh, for the larger half of the population, they w- would more or less abandon everything for a romantic partner more so than they would a really good friend. E, there will be a day when your minority opinion will very likely become the majority opinion. Nice. It just, I must, I think that would be an okay story too, but you have to build the groundwork for it. You know yeah, what I mean? There, yeah, I, I too <laughs> think it could be done, but I think you'd have to change a lot in the story to make that happen. And it would be a very different story and it would be a very different first act, I think. Yeah. So what I've learned from all of this is that no one here is willing to carry me off of a burning <laughs> volcano. I see your viewpoint, E, but I don't disagree. With, I don't agree with it, but I can see where you're coming from. Speaking of Harrison Ford being uh, weird and rapey in this scene, um, he actually pushed her in that one scene. When she feels like she's shocked, he just straight up pushed her. And the entire set was like, hey, that's not cool. Uh, so that happened. Um, Harrison Ford is also on record saying that this is uh the hardest movie he's ever filmed in his entire career because it was so grueling um for the time they were given 20 million dollars which was a lot but still not a lot a lot for what they wanted to do with it and so they that the ending scene that ending confrontation that was shot literally hours before the producers got their hands on it and took power away from ridley scott hours before <laughs> like they were filming up to the final point. It's it's sort of insane. Um, there was something that E brought up in this movie pretty early on, saying like, because, I mean, we've all said it, this movie looks fucking fantastic. And E loved all the city shots. He said that's probably his favorite part of the movie, which I don't blame yeah. you. They're gorgeous. There were only nine visual effects shots, or 90 visual effects shots in this entire film. Um, that's things like added, like post-production kind of stuff. Almost everything, basically, because 90 visual effects shots is not a lot of visual effects shots at all. Yeah, everything was miniatures and real sets and matte paintings. Nice. Um, so. Yeah, so like that's another reason why I wanted the 4K so much is because you can see every detail of all of these miniatures and models, and it seems really cool. And I'm just never going to have that, so that's fine, I guess. Um, so there was... Uh, every movie has its own share of awful injuries for the most part, and this movie was, of course, no exception. But it's not in any place that you would imagine it being... It's actually in a scene that E was like, that was weird, and he laughed at it. Um, when that one replicant is hiding in the trash, and she gets up and runs away and slips, uh, you laughed at that, and you're like, that's so weird. Why did that happen? She wasn't supposed to slip. Mm. Uh, the ground was just way too wet, and when you hear that glass shatter, like, that's not a post effect. Oh, no. Um, she actually ran her elbow into a giant pane of glass accidentally. Oh, it was not fake glass. Why was there? Why did they have like an actual glass thing right there? She wasn't supposed to run into it. Because she, yeah, she was supposed to break. She it. was supposed to stop running, <laughs> and when she tried to stop, she slipped. Oh, that just seems like a bit much. But maybe it was just cheaper to have an actual car or whatever they had. Yeah. So she actually chipped her elbow in eight places, 
because of that. Because her, Jesus. yeah, and you can actually see her jacket in the shot because they kept the shot. They fucking kept the shot. <laughs> you can see her jacket is torn to shit when she walks back to the guy. Yeah, that scene, that little thing, fucked her up. Out of all the things that happened in this movie, that's the fucking thing that fucked people up in it. But uh, no, whenever you said, uh, whenever you said that someone got hurt, the first thing that came to mind was actually that scene where that girl just like runs through plane after plane and plane of glass. No, no, that glass was planned. That's fake glass. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that was candy glass. Uh, that scene. So, like, I asked her, I was like, "Wait, what's with the?" Because like the first scene, it's just like she walks, runs through a plane of glass. And I was like, "Wait, what was going on here?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, it's a ball." <laughs> and then she keeps doing it, and it's progressively weirder. Like, it's just like a snow room. <laughs> yeah, she ends in a snow room. Every every shopping mall has a snow room, don't you know that? Yeah. Also, I'm gonna out myself. Uh, I didn't even understand that she was a reploid yet, so I was really confused why he was shooting her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, that's when. That's why he went to see her because at that one scene there was the little snake thing. Yeah, yeah. And like, she wears them, and she has the snake, and and like she was in the picture. She also has yeah. a snake tattoo. Mm-hmm. So. So I was just like, wait, what's going on here? It's just, she just shoots someone in cold blood. And, you know, like, I thought it was, like, a callback to the start of the movie where um, What's-Her-Face asks him, like, have you ever shot a real person by accident? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought, like, it was going to be like that, and he starts, like, questioning, Ed- like, super questioning everything about himself. Like, do I not even understand what the difference is anymore? Because, you know, like, he was already questioning if he's real at this point. I think but, I think it is implied that he doesn't understand the difference anymore. Like he doesn't see a difference. Like she was as human as any human, and she died as much as any human dies. Like there's no difference really. I think I think there is that him questioning it at that point. Like there is that thing because like the replicants already have their short lifespan. Yeah. Of, is it everyone's four years or is it just like the pens? It, it's those ones in particular. Yeah, because they're uh, workers. They're like miners, basically. So those okay. bots are. But so it so like does she oh, also have four years then most likely? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of that's like something the movie does like, especially in the final scene where um I want to call him Bowser because I can't remember his name um Roy right the main villain yeah 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 okay so like he gets his death at his own time so the idea like reflecting back on that. She would have just died at some point. Yeah. There's, like, all of them would have just died at some point. And, like, obviously Roy murdered a bunch of people. I think it's implied some of the others also murdered a bunch of people. Yeah. But ultimately, if they just left it alone or found a way just to isolate them instead, it, they wouldn't have actually had to kill any of them. Yeah, like, that's the thing is... um the detective, when he's trying to get Deckard back into it, he's like, you have to go and kill them or they're going to kill everybody in their way. But, like, they don't want to just go out killing people. They just want to live their lives and live a longer life if possible. And if not, then just to be left alone. I don't know about that, though, because they killed willy-nilly whenever they felt like it. Well, they killed two people, I'm pretty sure, in this movie. Like, the replicants specifically. They killed Tyrell. And, and whenever that one guy at the very beginning is getting questioned, he kills that guy. Okay, three people then, because they also kill. Um, they also killed when they when they smuggled themselves onto the sh- ship. Didn't they say twenty eight people were killed when they got on the, the twenty three? But yeah, I might have zoned out there. So I mean, let's let's 
I mean, you hear about some people coming your way that just killed 23 people. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right? Like, like, there's well, that, these people, like, you know, they're just trying to live life. Like, they usually specifically, like, in the movie, other than those, and we should not ignore those, of course, but, uh, like... I might ignore them. <laughs> like, the people they kill are the mad scientists who created them that just can't do anything for them, and his... Con- he basically just gives them condolences. It's basically like if your god was like, I mean, that's how people are with god. Like, like can I just have something more? Yeah, I didn't really like make you that way. So tough luck, bro. Yeah. Like, what do you do? You kiss your you kiss your maker and you kill him. Also, I called that that they were gonna kiss, and I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah. But that is also sort of a a, a ritual for being human mm-hmm. is to e- essentially kill your god. Yeah, that that makes sense. I can see that actually. And what's also really cool is that he did the other thing too. Is he begged for forgiveness? I mean, not literally begged, but he wanted forgiveness from his maker, and his maker said no. So he he played both parts because both is human. It is very human to rebel, and it's also very human to seek redemption. I mean, a lot of people have this sense of they need to redeem themselves for something and spend their whole lives chasing that. That's also a very human thing to do, right? And so he did both. He flip-flopped, you know? Yeah. His, his emotions were all over the place. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he's close to dying, so kind of makes sense. I do like how sweaty he is in the whole movie. <laughs> I don't. It's weird. I like it. It just feels gross. I was going to ask why it. they need to sweat, but they just made him as human as possible, so. Yeah, and he's, like, close to dying. For all we know, he's leaking important fluid. Actually, I had a question. So, like, as we were watching him die, like, you see all the tats and stuff. And I was like, just like, oh, okay. I guess when the replicants start to die, they have weird symbols. Do you think? Does he probably just have tattoos? He probably just has tattoos. Okay. <laughs> I no, I think those are actually meant for the movie. Oh, really? Like, do you think Roy himself just had tattoos, or do you think that was just what happens when you die as a replicant? Because none of them died from old age except him, so it's kind of hard to tell for sure. So I'm just curious, like. I know it's like a minor thing, but I honestly feel like it was uh, not so much a minor thing as much as it's kind of one of those hidden things, because whenever he goes on that speech of like, this is what it's like to live in fear and to live in fear is to be like a slave. And the fact that he has tattoos on him, I feel like that could have been a way for them to identify like who he was on the ship as the replicant, as uh, they've done in a lot of historical ways. They used to tattoo slaves to tell them like, you know, this slave belongs to this owner. And this tattoo shows that. Yeah, and did the same thing with people in internment camps in World War II and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be that. That that makes a lot of sense, actually. That's how I took it, at least. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. I don't know if you want to tell them, like, the actual, like, because I had a different meaning to the unicorn at the very end of the movie than uh, Rocky and uh, E did. And I think it might be closer to what, how you see the unicorn at the end of that movie, with it being super pivotal. Um, Let's hear it. Yeah, I'm interested. From what... I've seen with that movie and like I said, I saw a lot more the second time around was um, because there was that scene wherever Decker is, you know, telling Rachel like all these different memories that she had as a kid. And like, yeah, you never told anyone about that. Did you, you wouldn't know that or so how could I know that sort of thing? And then him having that dream about that unicorn, he doesn't tell anyone about that dream. It's just something that happens really quickly for like that five second clip. And then, um, Gaff being the only R, uh, the guy who makes the origami figures makes R, uh, and he finds the origami figure of a unicorn at the very end of it is a sign that he's a replicant because 
he never told anyone about that dream, but somehow Gaff knows about that dream with the unicorn. Yeah, we said that earlier. Oh, okay. Wasn't sure if you caught that. Well, I'll say I'll say this. I tend to zone out a lot, so this is actually the first time I realized that that was a part of the movie. <laughs> so, voila. There we go. <laughs> so, I get, so in, like, other cuts, it's just the unicorn origami, and there's just not... The... Yeah, there's not that shot of him having that dream of the unicorn. That's really weird. I guess, like, unicorns still hold the symbolism, but that's, like, a really weird... It changes the meaning of whether or not he is a replicant or not, or whether you could imagine him being one or not. Right. It's a it's a huge thing. It 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 gets rid of the question. Which is one thing that I found out recently too is that um apparently even within the cat or uh, the cast and crew of this movie, there's still that question of uh, whether Deckard's a replicant or not because um, Ridley Scott went on record saying that he thinks that he is one, but Harrison Ford said that he's not. Yes, well, I, I feel like Ridley Scott might have a little more of a like sense. Well, it's not that like they think he is or he isn't. It's uh, Ridley Scott came out and said like, yeah, he's a replicant. And Harrison Ford's like, fucking, we talked about this. Like, we both agreed we should keep it like a mystery, and like neither of us really knew. Like, we agreed like this is ambiguous, and neither of us know for sure. And Ridley Scott's like, nah, he's a replicant. So Harrison dumb. Ford actually got super pissed at him. <laughs> That's interesting, because, like, I never really think of Harrison Ford as being, like, too invested in a lot of his work. That's the thing. Whenever he's into a role, like, he gets a lot of input, and he puts a lot in, because he really does care about the roles he takes. If he takes it, he probably cares about it in some way. Um, That's why he was so hesitant to keep doing Star Wars. That's fair. Because at a certain point, he did stop caring, and it took a lot to make him care again. But once he cared, like, he had input on, like, everything. Also, I, I tend to, if I was to choose between sort of Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford's way, I would have gone Harrison Ford's way, too. Because at the end of the day, your your movie becomes someone else's movie, you know? And so you want to leave enough room for them to decide that on, on their own. Yeah, that's yeah. basically what Harrison Ford yeah. said, too. And I think it's a lot better leaving it ambiguous because it can be whatever you actually want it to be. No, I agree. I, I feel it's best to leave it ambiguous. I don't know. I do have some issue when, like, creators do just try to flat out say something like that when it's ambiguous. Because, like, I don't know, imagine if Inception, it just shows you for sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, that's, I think that's what makes the ending of Inception, and ultimately the entire movie more powerful, is whether or not the top falls or not. Yeah. The, like, the most interesting thing isn't the answer, it's what do you want the answer to be? And, like, there are a lot of people who get mad that it's not a clear-cut ending, but I think they are really selling themselves short. This is going to be a really weird example. I don't even know if you guys have seen it. In our uh, history class in high school, they showed us parts of this movie called uh, Swing Vote. And the the whole movie is basically just like, hey, you should go vote. But the way it's structured is like, this drunkard is the only person. Like, the entire vote's an exact 50-50 split, so he's the last person who matters. So the movie ends like, after he, like, does a bunch of pulling himself together to actually ask each candidate what they want and, like, <laughs> do that. So, like, the movie ends with him just walking into the photo, or the photo booth, the voting booth. And there were people in my class who were like, wait, why isn't it show who we voted for? And it's like, because that's not the point. <laughs> like, it's it's about the journey, not the destination. It's a lot of that sense. Yeah. it's The, the answer isn't the important thing. It's the questions that you can ask. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott eventually, I think, uh, did backpedal on his on his initial statement in 2001 uh, by saying that Decker was a replicant. I think with the creation of Blade Runner 2049, 
you can see that uh, he understands the importance of the question more than anything. I thought you were going to be like, he's like, actually, I'm a replicant, so can you trust what I say? <laughs> um, this movie, I mentioned earlier that maybe people would think a certain way if they did see it, Rocky. Um, nobody saw this movie. It was a gigantic fucking flop for a lot of reasons. It opened the same exact weekend as E.T. and The Thing, which also, if you know anything about The Thing, that was also a financial flop as well as being a critical flop. Um, That's another one the critics got wrong. Critics hated it at the time. They thought it was shallow and stupid, and they were mad that there wasn't an answer at the end of it. So what you're saying is you're super wrong about your statement that critics are always right. (laughs) I don't, critics are right sometimes. So critics are critics and they will have their opinions. People will sometimes agree with them and sometimes they won't. Like, that's my take on critics. Yeah, so it released that same weekend as those, and as history has shown, E.T. fucking annihilated them. Um, for a very long time, these movies were unknown, and it wasn't until the 90s that they really started to gain a cult following. That's kind of insane, considering how influential this movie is to media. The Thing as well. Like, both of those movies are insanely influential to their genres and to media in general. And E.T. was just fucking about an alien that liked Reese's Pieces. To pop culture in general. And that's the one that fucking annihilated everything. Reese's Pieces are pretty good, so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, this, this movie did really, really terrible. The reason why Blade Runner specifically didn't do well is because... Word of mouth got out pretty quickly that it was an incredibly long in the tooth movie and slow and extremely bleak. And people obviously were like, I won't be sad this weekend. Let's not go see the thing or that Blade Runner bullshit. Let's go see the Happy Alien movie. Out of the three things, they went to see E.T. So that's what audiences uh, went for. Um, this is up to date, by the way, because the f- uh, Blade Runner has been in theaters for a really long time at this point because it keeps coming back for like reshowings and stuff like that. So this is the up-to-date box office of what this currently has made in box offices. 41 million. That's up-to-date. That's been 40 years, almost, of this movie making money in theaters, and it's still only made 40 million. It flopped. It flopped hard. It lost WB tons of money. Like I said, at the time, it was 20 million, and that was considered an expensive movie, uh, especially for the type of movie it was, and it just did not make any of that money back. It it arguably has still not made its money back. <laughs> Even, like, regarding DVD sales? Well, let's just say after tonight, $41 million and four dollars <laughs> boys. That's right, I rented this $41 oh, million. Oh, shit! I <laughs> Watch, like, next week, there's, like, Blade Runner now selling a bajillion. Yeah, it's now profitable. <laughs> I like the, the arts today specifically cost it. That would be fucking amazing. <laughs> They're like, new trilogy announced for Blade Runner out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, it, it did horribly in the box office. Although, critically, it did do well. Critics did attach to it for pretty clear reasons. Uh, it has a lot to say, and I think they saw that. But yeah, unfortunately, the sequel followed suit in almost every single way, which I suppose we'll get to that when we get to the sequel. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it did not perform well unfortunately. It does have a cult following, and DVD and Blu-ray sales have been kind to it, so it's made money back there, but this was just one of those projects, as WB has a lot of these projects that just fan-loved, uh, not publicly loved. 
I think even today, if I just were to like go and be like, hey, what do you think of Blade Runner? People be like, that slow ass robot movie? Fuck you. Um, and then you're if like, they've Have heard you of it seen at all, it? honestly. And they'd be like, no. Yeah. Like, even today, I think it's really hard to find people who've, who've really seen this movie. Even people like I know that in are in like movie loving communities. It's just not a lot of people. Blade, see, the, I mean, look, I, I don't, not the most sociable person, so I'm probably not actually in the know, but the impression I had got was that Blade Runner is considered one of the best science fiction movies ever made. Oh, it absolutely is. Ever made. It's one of the best science fiction movies ever made that nobody's seen. I mean, for me, growing up at least, like, I always heard of Blade Runner. I never watched it. Like, so for me, for the, until I actually did watch it, it felt like it was kind of like one of those movies that, like, a lot of people saw but no one talked about. But apparently it was just a movie that not a lot of people watched, so not a lot of people talked about it. I didn't even know what movie it was until today, so <laughs> I apparently thought it was a, movie, a Maze Runner. Yeah, my expectations for this movie were entirely off. I thought I thought it was going to be robots with machine guns <laughs> blasting shit, and it just completely, like 20 minutes in, I was like, how have I never seen this movie? Because this movie is not anything what I thought it was going to be whatsoever it's, yeah, it's so good fucking it's so dope. good but we should get to our final thoughts here and uh our zero to ten ratings on everything let's start with the e okay hello uh so i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna say i'm gonna give an eight all right most of that is purely for the visuals this is one of the <laughs> few movies i would say you can literally just watch for the visuals because again i don't think the story is like like, there's some cool themes going on. I don't think the story story is that interesting. Okay. Uh, I I would say I would I would want to own, like, one of the matte paintings, and they're probably worth a million dollars, but... If they even exist anymore. Yeah, there's, it's <laughs> such a beautiful movie, and just looking at any scene is incredible because they're all so, like, handcrafted, handcrafted, and just, just amazing to look at. And, like, I have a lot of issues story-wise, and I can't take a lot of it seriously. <laughs> but it just, it's really, it's really neat. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever really want to watch it again, honestly. Not, like, that crazy for me, but, like, it's, in the in the list of movies I would not watch again, this is fairly high up there. But I would still give it, a pretty high rating and it's probably going to be one of the highest rated movies that I would just say I would not want to watch again. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's hit it with that. Robbie. So once again, I did really like this movie, but for some of the things that he was saying is like, that's why I say that it is a style over substance kind of movie because there is substance there. There really is. And there is that really important question, but it is very much like, you know, like, Hey Deckard, have you ever taken the bump point test? Look at this really cool uh, billboard. And like, so there's, they put these really cool visuals in front of you and it somewhat overpowers the message that this movie is trying to throw at you. And that's why I call it like a style over substance. And it is kind of long in the tooth. However, I do actually love this movie. It is visually, it's a very well done movie. They could have done a little bit better with like how they brought the story forward. But that being said, the story brought forward is still really good. I'd say it, it it's a flawed masterpiece in a weird way, if that makes sense. Uh, I would probably agree with E and give this movie an eight. And I think I, but I do disagree with E. This is a movie I'll probably watch again and again, because I feel like this is one of those movies that you can get something different from it each time you watch it. And I feel that the sequel will probably, probably be the same. 
And let's head on over to uh, Rocky. I'm going to give this one a 10, man. Nice. This one was pretty fucking great. Yeah. I, I, I think it. I saw that one coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this was a, this was a straight up 10 for me and it was entirely because of the style. There's, there's a point like I've, I've watched movies with subject and no style. You know what I mean? Right. It's not fun. It's not fun. I'm supposed to be enjoying it. <laughs> um, I've seen movies where it's just style and no substance. And those those are cool, but they're very shallow. I feel like, yes, the substance got negated to a point, but I feel like it juggles it pretty well, though, because it's not the the story itself is embedded into the style for me. the the two The two are are very much one. The style plays into the substance. The substance plays into the style. You're literally lost into a very into something that feels very whole to me. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I give it a ten. It was, it was. I was very surprised, and I really enjoyed watching this movie. Awesome, awesome. And as for me, I, I really, really, really do love this movie. It is one of the most gorgeous movies I think I've ever seen, because it just sells me on its world almost instantly. That very first shot of the movie where all those flames are coming up out of those pipes and you see the entire uh, city in front of you and folding out in front of you, it just instantly puts you in this mood that I think so many movies struggle to to find that. And it just it hits it so, so perfectly. And I feel like it doesn't end that mood until the, even after the credits roll. I think it's just something that sticks with you and it's something that, that you're your mind lingers on for a really long time and just that that tone and everything in it. And I think once you get in it, it's it's one of those movies you know that you're in it for the whole thing right away. Because within those first 15 minutes, like if you're not into how that movie is stylized, I think you're just not going to be into it really. Because like I said, I don't think it's style over substance, but the style is pervasive in everything. And without that style, it does negate from the substance of everything i think they just it's juggled so perfectly and yeah it's it's a it's it's lightning in a bottle that i think is incredibly incredibly difficult to capture and so few films are able to capture it i'll agree with with robbie there are some things that i do find problematic in it um it is mostly the relationship stuff i don't think it's perfect but i also don't know how to convey that feeling of being able to escape a certain life um without having some sort of element like that in there. So I think I agree with it being a flawed masterpiece, but a masterpiece nonetheless. And so I will give it a 9 out of 10 on my part. I think overall that kind of gives it like a 9 out of 10 rating for no, all of us combined. No, it's 8.5. <laughs> I was really hoping he'd give it a 10 so we could bump this bad boy up to a 9. Group consensus. Rocky did the math before. He's like, fucking give it a 10, you pit. Give it a 10. <laughs> Like, you motherfucker! Like, you motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's Blade Runner: The Final Cut. So yeah, this week we didn't have a live show. We will be going back up with that next week, uh, Saturday nights, ten o'clock between ten o'clock and twelve o'clock Mountain Standard U.S. time. Yeah, things just uh didn't work out for scheduling this week, so it just wasn't gonna happen. But. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back on that next week, which is, when this episode is airing, will be this week. So tune in this Saturday. We'll have a live show. 
probably talk about a movie that we'll be doing next week, which, uh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to reveal it right now. We're going to do Blade Runner 2049 next week. So we're going to keep this existentialism going. Mm-hmm. 2049 times. Hooray! <laughs> um, I'm very excited about that. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So tune in next week to see what's essentially gonna be the end of this discussion, really. Yeah. Anyway, if you guys want to get a hold of us, E said this earlier. Say it again, E. We are the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on social media, Twitter and Facebook, the last ones in or the last ones in podcast, respectively. We're on there. Sometimes we post some stuff. We would love to hear from you guys any way that you can. And, as always, if you're out there protesting, fighting the good fight, please do so safely, guys. Wear masks. Have hand sanitizer if possible. Get tested if you can. I know it's expensive as shit, but uh, most important thing is being safe and being healthy. So, yeah, if you're not, then... Stay alone, stay alive. Fucking A right kind of what I'm doing right now, <laughs> which is why I'm not in the studio per se with you guys this week, but hopefully I'll be back there next week. Yeah. As always, thank you guys for joining me for the episode. Thank you, E. Yeah. Thank you, Robbie. Of course. And thank you, Rocky. It was a pleasure. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay safe. See ya. Hasta. Later. Bye. <laughs> what? Did you just try to say you don't need sex because there's it's, porn? It's, it's, yeah, I'm just saying. Like today, today, like our generations wouldn't care about that. You Hobbit stream of electric sheep. <laughs> <laughs> just Rocky's always so must, upset when he forgets that. Like, Fucking goddamn it! <laughs> Unless Rocky has more that he needs to say. No, I just I I I don't I always forget that I'm supposed to say that. You know, <laughs> which is funny because I'm always like these. There's always that awkward silence when I'm finished. No, yeah. like, no. Like, no, what do we do? Try. It's entirely okay for at just some point when I'm speaking for the how are you doing part. You're like, well, that's fucking nice for you. Anyway, how long was Ghost Story? We haven't watched that on this. Yeah, but just in general, it's almost an hour and a half. What? Yeah. <laughs> Checking, checking, one, two, three, test, test, test. Hello, it is I, Mr. Blade Runner Fan 20. It is Mr. Me, hot-blooded, check it and see. Hello there, it's me, Rocky Fujik. It's I who sees you from the camera. (laughs) Are are you whispering? Yes, I am. (laughs) Because I need to be able to know how loud you are. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be really hard to film this now. I can't. I don't even know what you're saying. <clears throat> uh, uh, check one, check two, check three. <laughs> Sam, it's so good to see you. That's me. That wasn't my interpretation of Frodo. I just put myself. In. <laughs> hey, are you guys gonna cut me on this? <laughs>